My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Caitlin Gibson and Ian MacDonald. As university campuses go... Until quite recently, the University of Manitoba has been a relatively politically quiescent one. It's not that nothing has gone on. Today's guests talk about the existence of a feminist group that has been doing some important work, for instance. But the general student political culture at U of M has not at all been oriented towards activism or critical engagement. This year, though, that has started to change. It began in a trickle as staffers with the Canadian Federation of Students took some steps to stimulate autonomous student organizing on the campus. And without getting into the range of both supportive and critical analyses of the CFS as a whole among left student organizers in different parts of the country, subsequent events indicate that this intervention has undoubtedly been a useful one. And this trickle became a flood when the administration of the U of M announced that they would be bringing the global agenda of austerity to campus by making substantial budget cuts. With the surge of student concern about what impacts these cuts might have on their access to a quality education, the University of Manitoba Student Action Network has taken off, and has been working collaboratively with various campus organizations and unions to oppose the cuts. They've been doing outreach and education among undergraduate students, and organized the first mass demonstration on the campus in many, many years. Caitlin Gibson and Ian McDonald are both undergraduate students at the University of Manitoba, and both are active in the Student Action Network there. They talk with me about the campus, about the threatened cuts, and about the upsurge in student organizing prompted by the arrival of austerity on their quiet campus. We spoke by Skype from Winnipeg. My name is Ian McDonald. I'm a third-year student at the University of Manitoba, doing an honors in philosophy, a minor in political studies. My name is Caitlin Gibson. I'm a fourth year student of the Global Political Economy Program at the University of Manitoba. So that's kind of a unique interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary program. I'm actually the vice chair of the Global Political Economy Student Association. I got connected up with Matt Brett, who's the general coordinator of the Canadian Federation of Students in Manitoba currently. And uh, he got in touch with me just because my information is on the student group database with the U of M. And he wanted to connect up with some other student groups to get something like the Student Action Network going. And in the initial stages, I wasn't super involved, to be honest, but I've gotten more involved since then. And the Global Political Economy Association has always offered support to the Student Action Network, which is affiliated with some student groups, but it's not affiliated with any specific programs of study at the U of M. It's for any undergraduate students who want to come together to work towards issues like the Stop the Cuts, but there's other issues on campus as well, like gender issues and that kind of thing. The University of Manitoba, we are at the Fort Gary campus at the university. So that's the most southernmost part of Winnipeg, I think. As far as the political climate, I can't say I've been too involved with student politics up until this year. It's something I've kind of shied away from previously, but my impression 
and I think it might still be the impression of some people who don't deliberately involve themselves, is that there's a really pervasive apathy on campus. I mean, there's just not a lot of political discussion in general. And when it does happen, you hear words like neutral thrown around a lot, and people don't seem to like taking strong views on things. In terms of the demographic of people that go to U of M, it's generally white middle class students that are the primary demographic that's attending the U of M. And I think it's kind of like its own little island, the campus. It exists very much within itself, and it's removed from any type of downtown area and even neighborhoods. It's not really close to anything in the city. So it's a little bit isolated. It's not integrated into the rest of the city of Winnipeg. It's just its own thing. Tell me what you can about the founding of the Student Action Network. How did it come to be? The Canadian Federation for Students, they wanted to initiate some stuff. And there was an expression from a few students and a number of student groups that there wasn't a lot of unity in terms of undergraduate students. And so in combination with the CFS and also student groups and individuals, there was the expression of a need for some sort of unifying body for undergraduate students. And I think that that's kind of where it all started. One specific event And I think it was September, which was put on by the CFS again, and that was called the Building the Student Movement event. And so that was a workshop. There was four presentations of things that previously established groups wanted to put forward, and they wanted to see how much of the student body would come out and sort of like help them with that this year. And so we didn't even know about budget cuts at that time. And there was quite a bit of people involved with that. And I think that's mainly where this year branched from. According to Gibson and McDonald, however, it really was the university administration's announcement of pending cuts that gave the group some significant momentum. I think the Stop the Cuts has been like the main catalyst getting this going, and how we've actually grown quite a bit has been through movements that revolve around Stop the Cuts. A lot of it started with the announcement of the administration at the U of M that there were going to be budget cuts happening. And they didn't define where those cuts were going to happen, but the implication was that they would be happening university-wide. And at that point, there was quite a number of students who wanted to get involved with the Student Action Network because they wanted to figure out a way to have their voice heard in this issue and protest the idea that, uh, I mean, the administration doesn't consult undergraduate students. There's no communication that can be had with the administration, basically. So that was an instigator of the Student Action Network really taking off, I think. And tell me more about where the interest came from. You mentioned there were other groups that were interested as groups. I know that one of the other groups was the Women for Justice group. Although I don't actually know a lot of people from that group, I do remember Matt talking to us about how there was another group on campus that had sort of similar goals and aims as our student group, and it was the Women for Justice student group. On top of that, I think that there was a lot of individuals who weren't necessarily connected to student groups, but had social activism type things on their mind and wanted to be a part of something that would be having that kind of agenda. It was a combination of student groups and actually quite a few individuals who saw the need for some sort of group on campus that could represent taking a political stand for students. It's mostly an undergraduate organization simply because the graduate students actually have a very well-organized, well-maintained, and well-attended graduate student association. Although we do 
I mean, I know we'll get to this later, but when we recently had a march and a rally against budget cuts at the U of M, it was in conjunction with the graduate students and we're on good terms with them. But this is specifically a group that is for undergraduate students to represent themselves as a body of students, like sort of a solidarity of undergraduate students. I asked Gibson McDonald to tell me a bit about the first stage of the Student Action Network responding to the administration's announcement that there would be significant budget cuts. That was kind of when Ian and I came onto the stage more prominently. Matt had invited us to come to a sort of a beginnings of a coalition meeting where undergraduate students, graduate students, the faculty association, and a number of unions on campus all met together to talk about what we were going to do as a group, as a coalition. And from there, the Student Action Network really took off in terms of we wanted to make sure that the undergraduate students in this sort of coalition had a voice and had a way to be represented in the larger coalition of people who were against the cuts. Because ultimately, the cuts, although they're going to affect all these other organizations and unions as well, they are going to affect students very severely. And unfortunately, the undergraduate students were the least well-represented people in that group of organizations and associations and unions. The coalition has been really great on focusing on the fact that this is primarily a student issue. And, you know, the university exists principally for students, I think. And of course, there's like research happening at these universities. But I think the primary interest of the university should and is to educate students. And I think that's something that really the coalition has been great about and really emphasizing that this is a student issue. The first thing that we did, like sort of officially, was there was an information session given on what the cuts would look like and looking at the university budget to see if cuts were necessary. The faculty association was really essential in that, in that they had a number of professors, like accounting professors, who were able to give really detailed information about why the cuts weren't necessary and where the university was potentially mismanaging money and placing more emphasis on advertising and things like that. And this information session was something that was organized and was very much focused at getting undergraduate students to come out and get information. We did a lot of tabling and pamphlets and talking to students and making sure there was lots of posters and there was awareness. And so we actually had a fairly good number of students come out to that. And through that event, we were able to connect them up with the Student Action Network because many students coming to this event and hearing all this information wanted to know what they could do and how they could be involved. Our first steps... And we're still doing this too, but we really wanted to focus on education before agitation. And so now we're definitely involved with both. But for the first part, we were really interested in getting students educated on the issue, on what the cuts are going to be, what they're going to be like, how they'll affect you and how they're not necessary, which is, of course, the most important part. From there, I remember the next meeting of the coalition was really essential because it was decided that we would have a rally in January. And at this point, I think it was early December that we decided this. And so basically, this was the call to action to mobilize the Student Action Network to make sure that, yeah, that we were doing this education, that students knew about the cuts and that they would care enough and realize that it mattered enough that they would come out to an event like a rally. And the interesting thing about the University of Manitoba is that we have not had any type of rally or student organizing action of any sort in I I don't even know if I remember it ever happening. And I've been at the university for five years. So basically, we had to go in 
and somehow create a culture of students who would come to a rally and who would take action in a very physical way and show up to an event where they would be protesting, which that, I mean, that hasn't happened for years and years on campus. So it was a big challenge. And we had only about a month and a half to get the word out and to make sure that people would actually come. That was a lot of fun because not only were we educating, but we were starting to provoke people. Not in like an aggressive way, but you know, like we launched our petition just in physical form about a week before the rally. So I remember some of the people who were like filling out this petition. Of course, we're asking people to come to the rally too. And I think that was a really great time where members of the Student Action Network were really provoking students who were kind of walking by, ignoring, you know, there's just these people with their signatures at the table, you know. And uh, so so some of my friends who were working at the table were like really calling out to people like, hey, you come back to this table. This is affecting you next year. And that was great. So lay out the case that you made in talking with students for why they should care about the cuts and why they should get active against them. What we were doing is we were going around with pamphlets mostly. And so there was some information. But I mean, a lot of it's just emphasizing 4% cuts are really serious. I mean, I think there was a 1.5% cuts in arts last year. Yeah. And that resulted in some course closures and, you know, classes expanding. And so 4% across the board, your courses are going to close. Your class sizes are going to expand. It's less one-on-one -on -one time with the professors. You don't have a say in this. It's just completely devaluing your education. And it's so unnecessary when we have things like the vice president externals budget doubling in five years. We have a $43 million revenue as of last year. That's how much we made. And we've made consistently over $40 million for, I think, since 2006 or something, with the exception of maybe one year. And so it's just really explaining to students how unnecessary it is, how it's going to affect them. And I think people in general are way more receptive when you can put some tangible figures it was interesting because the presentation that was put together by the accounting professors highlighted the fact that the university has made, in comparisons, if you sort of bring it down to scale, they've actually made more profits than like the Hudson's Bay Company and Canadian Tire. Crazy profits in terms of the fact that the university isn't actually a for-profit institution, and yet they're still trying to impose cuts that are going to affect students. I think for me Personally, when I'm talking to students about why the cuts matter and why they need to engage in this and, and actually care about this issue is not only because of how it's going to affect their years of study and, and in terms of, you know, maybe extending their graduation time and, and practical things like that, but also ideological issues with the fact that the university is rolling out these huge advertising campaigns and the amount of money even just going to the president for his salary. I mean, the university should be a place of education and a place where people can go to learn to think critically. And that's that's what it is. That's what a university is. And if it's doing anything besides that, if it's bringing in a revenue, if it's building huge capital projects that are unnecessary, there are ideological issues at stake. And people need to think about what education means. It's more than just your classes might grow and maybe your professor might lose their job. Like It's even bigger than that. And give me a sense of the kinds of things that you've been hearing back from students. Some students are very ingrained in the neoliberal, neoclassical type economic thinking. I hear things like, well, how can the university grow if, if it doesn't cut corners and find money in other places? 
there's people who defend the administration, which I find confusing. But I think worse than that is when you talk to students and I've had it happen. I've literally talked to a group of students that will not make eye contact with me, will not respond. And it's like they're so afraid of listening to something that might challenge what they know or what they think about an institution that they're just pretty comfortable with. And they're not willing to fight. They're not willing to listen and think about how this will affect them. I think that's true for a large part. But at the same time, I've had a lot of positive reception. Totally. Um, so like when we were doing pamphleting, when we like really engaged in a conversation with people, a lot of people were just like, oh, like I didn't realize that that was happening. I didn't realize that was the impact it can have. And so like lots of people have been really supportive. But then I do agree with Caitlin too that there's this really bizarre rhetoric that's going around where it's like, oh, well, how can you expect a good education when they're not charging you ridiculous amounts of tuition? <laughs> And it's just so bizarre. I mean, like, it's like people like, shooting themselves in the foot, and it's so confusing. Because you really just have to open your eyes and look to the various countries in South America, in Europe. I mean, Germany, right? Don't tell me that they have a horrible standard of education now that they don't charge for it. It's just where are you putting your priorities? And too many students, like Kaylin said, I think they don't want to challenge their preconceived notions of the way things should run and, you know, the way we shouldn't question authority. And I think a lot of people are scared to do that. Tell me about the rally. The rally was, I, I think it was just a really, really, it was a really cool thing. It was a chance for our students to come together. And when everyone was gathering, everyone was kind of just looking around and just all of a sudden realizing that they were in this together. It was because we were in the same physical space and we were coming together for the same issue. There was that sense of solidarity that we so wanted with the Student Action Network to happen. It was happening in real life in that moment, which was really, really cool and exciting, especially on a campus like U of M where that kind of stuff just does not happen. It has not happened for years. And when it did happen, I mean, we marched for probably half an hour, 45 minutes, and I mean, it wasn't even planned. We hadn't even planned on going on a march, but everyone was just so empowered by coming together and all of a sudden realizing that, you know, we have power as students, we have a voice, and they can't ignore us. It was a really cool thing to see students come together around that. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's the perfect term to sum it up to, is just it was empowering. I know Chris Dixon came in to do a workshop with the Student Action Network. And Dixon is an author and longtime organizer currently based in Ottawa, Ontario. One of the points he really emphasized to us was taking what people look at as these unsolvable problems and making them just look like obstacles to overcome. And really emphasizing the fact that we do have the power to change things and getting students to realize that they can make a change too. And I think that attitude was really reinforced at the rally. Like Caitlin said, I mean, when you went in there and you looked around and you saw hundreds of people with signs everywhere, and then, you know, we started chanting, we started marching. I've heard one person only say that that was the most militant they've seen the student body in decades. What kind of responses have you been getting from the administration? So there was a town hall and a bunch of members from the Student Action Network went to the town hall meeting and they vaguely talked about their finances, which was clearly supposed to be addressing the movement that we started. But it was so indirect and so vague and they just stuck with the same rhetoric. They really stuck to the things that they've been saying for months now. They put out a video series. I think it was like eight two minute videos 
And then again, it was like the same thing, you know, we have to balance our budget, but no talk in terms of priorities. There's no transparency, which is a huge issue for us because as of 2009, they haven't been transparent with where all their spending occurs. You can look at the university budget online, but they give very large lump sum numbers for different things. Like for advertising, there's just a big lump sum and you don't actually know how that money is distributed within those departments. So that's kind of the problem. Tell me more about the relationship between the Student Action Network and the CFS. I actually recently had to write a letter to the editor of the Manitoban because for some reason it's in people's minds that this is under the umbrella or the sort of like hierarchy of the CFS and we're one of their organizations, which isn't the case. But at the same time, I don't want to take away anything that the CFS has done to help mobilize the Student Action Network and to help get it established because they've done so much. They've really helped just welcome students into the campaign. And, you know, they have the experience where I think if it was left to me, at least, like I wouldn't even know the first thing about running the meeting. So just adding that experience, getting us established, but at the same time, letting us be our own entity. And, you know, they're not just trying to push every CFS agenda item, but they've worked with us towards a common goal. Tell me a little bit more about your experience of working with these other kinds of organizations, with the graduate students, with the unions on campus and that kind of thing. The unions on campus, I mean, before this year, I barely even, I mean, I knew that there were unions on campus, but I didn't really think about it very much. But coming together and working with some of the union representatives at meetings and coming together with them at the rally was so, so cool. I mean, I think that there's a reason that we're not taught in our, you know, public education or at university about the power of unions and about what it is to be in a union and what a union really is. That's kind of left out of the whole looking at economics and that kind of thing. But they're just a really neat group of people. I mean, specifically the unions that are on campus. There's a number of unions for janitorial staff and unions for student workers. And all of them are just so well organized and they work so well together. So it was really neat to see how quickly they could just come together and have a statement made up and have, you know, a position and and be willing to commit funds or be willing to commit people to help out with these types of things. I was just so impressed with how organized the unions were. It was it was really neat to work with them and it, it will be neat to continue to work with them. And what do you think some of the key limitations and challenges of the work of the Student Action Network so far? I think one of the biggest challenges that we've faced right now and so far is expanding the student involvement from the Faculty of Arts into other faculties like the School of Business and the Engineering and the Science faculties. Not that there aren't people who are involved from all of those places, but we've found that our concentration has been more art students. And so we're working on and trying to figure out a strategy to not be so concentrated in one specific area of the university and to really get students involved from all areas. One of the things actually that was discussed at our meeting today was diversifying the Student Action Network and reaching out to these groups that are already often marginalized groups, especially because a lot of them, like international students, are going to feel mm -hmm. um, the impact of this so severely. But I mean, I think in terms of gender and race and culture, we already are a fairly diverse group, which is good. 
But yeah, I think really like reaching out to diversify ourselves in terms of interests. A lot of this is like within arts, like Caitlin said. We are seeing some more science students. We've had some engineering students now, but it's just not enough. An additional challenge that we have because we are functioning within a capitalist society and we are selling our labor on the market is that I know for myself and I know for so many other students who want to be involved and who want their voices to be heard, that is contrasted against the requirements of actually paying for our university education and actually having to work while also being in school and having to balance that with doing extracurricular activities in order to provide the right resources for putting on a CV if you ever want to do further education. The requirements put on students to be successful are generally more than just do well in school and get good grades. And so students who may want to be involved in Stop the Cuts and who may want to have their voices heard are also students who have to pay for their university and have to go to work and have to balance all of these requirements that are put on us by the society that we live in. The answer to that is, you know, no more capitalism. But obviously, I know that it's more complicated than that. But I just want to make that point because I know that there are students who want to be involved and who want to do more and be more and put more value into the things that actually matter to them. But in reality, we have to pay our bills and we have to pay for our tuition. And so that's contrasted against sort of what the university is doing. They know that students are busy and that they don't have time to campaign and to constantly be on campus putting up a fuss. They know that students are balancing work and school and volunteering and families and everything else. They know that and they use that to their advantage. What are the key things coming up? for the Student Action Network? What's going to be happening over the next couple of months? This has actually been our big week for strategy and planning our next steps. So some of the things that we've been talking about, I mean, nothing's really set in stone, probably actually until next week. So this maybe isn't the greatest timing. But we are talking about doing another rally because I think getting that physical presence is super key. We've been doing petitioning And so we want to get that going more. The online petition will be circulating and uh, hopefully that puts some extra pressure on administration when they see that going. And I think it's something that the media can latch on to, which is always a good thing. We're talking about doing a campaign gathering student stories. So there already was cuts. And so we want to get student stories of people who have already been affected by cuts. And then, of course, we want to get stories about, you know, what do you fear in the cuts in the future and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to have a campaign going around that, too. And some other stuff, which isn't really set in stone. So I don't know if I'm going to speak on them just yet. You have been listening to my interview with Caitlin Gibson and Ian McDonald, who are undergraduate students at the University of Manitoba and are organizers with the U of M's Student Action Network. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to make suggestions about topics for future shows, go to TalkingRadical.ca and click on the link marked Radio. That's TalkingRadical.ca. I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Sudbury, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. 